The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for another Sunday to come together as a family um, and to worship uh, with and, and to uh, our Father. God, I, I thank you that though we might have come from different backgrounds, though we might have had uh, a very different experiences in our lives, uh, what unites us here is not tradition, what unites us here is not uh, compulsion or anything else. What unites us is not our past, what unites us uh, is you, is what you've done for us. What unites us is our uh, devotion and affection for the risen Jesus And so, God, thank you for loving us, for giving yourself for us. And, Lord, we need you this morning. As much as we've ever needed you, we need you this morning. So, Lord, as we open your word, please give us your understanding. Please speak clearly, because without it, we're lost. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I am uh, very happy to be with you this morning, and, and uh, if you haven't been with us, or you're, this is maybe uh, the first time you've been in a, in a little bit, we've been discussing spiritual disciplines, all right, talking about spiritual disciplines, and what are they? Well, I mean, yeah, they're reading the Bible, they're praying, these other things, but what are they? They are avenues that God gives us uh, in, in, in to, to practice and to, to walk down and to encounter Him in some way. They're avenues in where God's grace most commonly shows up. So the first week we talked about the Word of God, right? So, so reading the Word of God is a way that we can intersect with, our lives can come in contact with the transformative grace of God, right? We talked about the second week, we talked about prayer, right? That's another common avenue that the Lord Jesus has given us that we can encounter Him there. And when last week we talked about fasting, again, another avenue, another discipline, another grace for us to practice where God will meet with us. Uh, and and we'll, we'll be able to see him there and he'll, he'll uh, have a transformative work in our lives. So today we're continuing down that idea of, of discipline, spiritual disciplines. And today we're talking about giving. Now let me give you a little inside uh, uh, knowledge about, about the way I, I put together sermons, all right? Uh, so so uh, my wife is kind of my sounding board, right? So, so every sermon you've heard, she's already heard. Right? So if it's brand new, it doesn't matter. She's heard it first because I run it all by her because uh, uh, me dumb, she's smart, right? So I run everything by her. And so one of the things I like to do is uh, if, if, I, if I come up with or I find a joke that has to do with uh, the, the topic for that day, I always run it by her. But, and, and usually uh, it passes, but sometimes it gets vetoed. And, and it gets vetoed for one of two reasons. Either it's just not funny and she just looks at me and she goes, I just... I love you, but that's not funny, right? And, and sometimes it's not. The other time she's like, you can't say that in church, right? Like, what is wrong with you? And so, like, this week I had several that I thought were awesome, and they almost all fell into that latter category. So if you'd like to hear those, you come find me later. Don't tell her that I told you. But uh, I'll give you the one she approved. So um, there was a torn and ragged $1 bill, and it was on its way down a conveyor belt to be, uh, belt to be destroyed. It had been around. It was real torn up, and, 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 and it was nasty, right? And so it was about to be destroyed. Well, on the conveyor belt, on its way to be destroyed, it sees a $50 bill. 
Israel, also torn and tattered, and it had obviously been through it as well. And they started striking up a conversation, and, and so the $50 bill began reminiscing about its traveling around the world. And it said, you know, I, I, I've been to Las Vegas, I've been to the finest restaurants in New York, and political fundraisers, and just returned from a cruise on the Caribbean. And the dollar bill said, gee, well, you're fortunate to have been able to visit all those places. And the 50 said, well, where have you been in your lifetime? And the $1 bill said, well, I've been to the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Presbyterian Church, the non-denominational churches, the charismatic churches. And then the 50 interrupted and said, excuse me, real quick, what's a church? So, like, I think sometimes when we talk about giving, that's good, isn't it? That's pretty good. All right, so anyway... We talk about giving. That Give credit to Ange. Like, that was her. She was like, that's the one. All right. But anyway, I, I honestly, like, approaching this topic, I knew that it was on the list, right? I knew that it was coming up, and, and I had no idea where to, like, even begin to tackle this, this grace, to tackle this discipline. And, and I'll be honest, this has been a difficult discipline uh, in, in my life, not only uh, um, to practice, but also to even, like, wrap my head around, like, Lord, what do you want from me? What is a proper uh, way of giving? What honors you, right? And, and I would guess, I would go out on a limb and say that probably a lot of people in this room are in the same boat as I am, right? Or the same boat as I've been where where you're like, you know, this has been a difficult discipline for me to practice, or, or even I don't even know why I'm doing it, or I don't, I don't know how to do it, I don't, I, I don't know, this is kind of a, a difficult one for me. Well, I'll tell you this, this is the exact same thing uh, for me, and so as I came to the Word, and I came to the Scriptures, I was just reading all these different passages on, on giving, and generosity, and money, and all these different things, and and you know, I came across this passage in 2 Corinthians that immediately challenged my, my idea of giving. It challenged my idea of generosity, of what it looked like, right? I'm not new to church, all right? Like, I'm fairly certain I was born in church, right? I, I don't know, but I think maybe that might have happened. My parents at a hospital, whatever. Like, well, I, I, all my memories from a little, little kid on our church. And so, like, like, giving and the offering, that's not new to me. You know, like, not, when my parents gave me my... My allowance, they would say like 10% to the church, 10% save, and then whatever, right? So like that money always went to the church, right? My, my allowance wasn't, wasn't big time, but it, it, there was always something there for the church. So I'm not new to this idea of giving, but I'm telling you, when I came to this passage in 2 Corinthians, the Lord kind of like opened my eyes to a new understanding of giving. And, and I hope that that happens for a lot of you in here today. So if you would, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there might be some under your seat. You're welcome to take that with you. That's our gift to you. And if you have a smartphone or something, you can follow along there, all right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's read this passage together and then we'll, we'll walk through it together. Beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us accordingly. 
We urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So what's the context of this passage, right? If I just if we just pull something up without context, what's the meaning here? Here's the context. So basically what's going on in church history is the church in Jerusalem is in poverty. They are in need. In fact, there's been a famine in the land and they're suffering for it. You can see it in, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. He mentions this. that so, so this church in Jerusalem, mainly made up of Jewish believers, is in need. They're hungry. They have all kinds of different needs. They, they absolutely need support. And so what Paul is doing is he's, he's making reference in, in uh, or excuse me, he's making a request here of the Corinthians. He's letting them know, listen, your Jewish brothers and sisters, they need your help. And so apparently Paul already has collected something from the, the mainly Gentile, non-Jewish, mainly Gentile congregations in Macedonia, which includes uh, churches from Thessalonica, from uh, Berea, um, from Philippi, right? And so he's made collections there, and he's coming to Corinth, or he's sending Titus to Corinth, excuse me, to say, hey, listen, uh, we need to finish your collection to support your Jewish brothers and sisters uh, who need food. And we see that in verse 13. Look at verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at this present time should supply their needs, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So Paul is saying, you are both to be generous to one another. Where your generosity may look like a financial gift today, and the Jews' generosity may look like a spiritual gift to you today, uh, you both need one another. You both need to provide for one another and meet one another's needs. Regardless of what it is, you're to be generous to one another. But Paul doesn't just say that. He doesn't just go straight to be generous, right? He could have. He could have just said, hey, look, uh, be generous because you should. Okay, we're good here, right? But how helpful is that? If you're struggling with anger and you come to talk to me about it and I just say, stop being angry, is that, gonna, is that helpful? No? Is, is that going to inspire you to work on your anger? No, it might inspire you to punch me in the face, but it's not going to inspire you to work on your anger. And so Paul doesn't do that. So in these preceding 12 verses that we just read, uh, I think you have this incredible, eloquent, beautiful exhortation to generosity that Paul gives them. And I believe that the Lord used these verses, this collection of verses in this letter, to do incredible things in the church of Corinth to make them a generous people, to meet other people's needs. He did incredible work there. And I think if we take his word seriously this morning and submit ourselves to it, then I think that he has incredible things he wants to do through us. He wants to do through Christ church, if we would heed what he would say here. So, 
He who has ears, let him hear. This morning, we're going to be walking through this passage together. And I think that the verses we're going to be looking at are split into two sections. We have first, uh, verses 1 through 5. He talks about the example of the Macedonian churches, right? Those that he's already collected from to give and to support the Jewish believers. And then verse 6 through 15, we're going to see four truths about giving. So let's start with the first half. Let's start with verse 1 through 5. So apparently, the Macedonian churches, which included, again, churches in Thessalonica, Berea and Philippi, they had been made aware of the need in Jerusalem, and their response was, quote, a wealth of generosity, all right? So to understand where their giving came from, I want us to look at verse 5. We're going to skip to verse 5 and, and go back. Look at verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So this is the basis of their giving. Their giving is not compulsion. It's not because, you know what, someone requested it or a tradition or we want to look like we're generous. The basis of their giving is here. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So the basis of their giving and their generosity is a love and submission to the Lord first and submission to the service of others second, right? It's not tradition. It's not compulsion. It's not so that people look at them and see how spiritual they look, right? Or, wow, they're really generous. They're a really great place. It's not that. It's because they love God and they love people. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this foundation here sound familiar? It should. Jesus said, hey, look, look what happened in, in Matthew 22, an encounter with Jesus and, and a lawyer there. In verse 35, it says, one of them, a lawyer, asked him, that's Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the basis for their giving are the two greatest commandments, right? That's the basis of their giving. The basis of their giving is not, hey, this is what we have to do. The basis of their giving is not guilt. The basis of their giving is not a tax write-off. It's none of that. The basis of their giving is the two greatest commandments, love God and love God people, right? So it's a submission to the Lord's will. Everything that I have is yours, Lord, all right? It's all yours. And then, you know what, Lord? I'm going to love my neighbor as much as I love myself. And with that basis, with that basis of giving, and Lord, please make that true of us. May that be our basis of giving. With that basis of giving, what did the Lord do in that church, with those churches? What in the world did he accomplish? Go back to verse one. Now let's go through here. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. So because they submitted to, to the Lord Jesus first, because they submitted to God, they, they loved God, and they said, everything we have is yours, uh, God gave them uh, much grace in relation to this giving. How did he give them grace? Well, firstly, he graced them with the opportunity to be generous. God promised us in, in Matthew 6, through Jesus that he would meet all of our needs. So, so is Jesus going to uh, fulfill his promise and meet the needs of the church in Jerusalem? He absolutely is. Absolutely. Whether they're, they're faithful to give or not, yes, whether they're faithful to give or not, absolutely he's going to meet their needs. So why is this a grace for him to say, you can give? 
Yeah, I'm gonna, I can use you. Here's why it's a grace. Because he's going to fulfill his word. He's going to keep his word to these believers in Jerusalem. He's going to provide for them. But here's what he's saying to the churches in Macedonia and the church at Corinth. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be used by me to fulfill my word to them. Isn't that incredible? The king is saying, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to be a part of that. I could use you. I could use anything. I, I could have, I, you, you remember, I fed the Israelites from the sky, all right? I could do that again. But I'm giving you an opportunity to participate in my work. Isn't that an incredible grace? Isn't that phenomenal? What an honor that is that God would say, I could, I'm going to meet, I'm going to meet their needs, all right? This isn't about you and, oh, I need you. Uh-uh, none of that. This is a grace. I'm giving you an opportunity to participate in my work work. I wonder how many times I've, I've seen the opportunities God gives me to, to give as a grace and how many times I see them as, as nothing but an obligation. But they are truly a grace. So the graces, he gave them an opportunity. And then he not only graced them with an opportunity, he graced them with uh, the will to be generous. Although it's an absolute uh, uh, honor, it's an absolute uh, uh, blessing to be able to give to the work of God, that's true. But when it comes to really actually doing it, we can talk about it all day and we all will probably be in agreement. Yeah, that's great. It's wonderful. But when it comes down to actually doing it, that's difficult, right? Why? Because we're selfish, right? Like at our core, we're selfish. Like it's, it's mine and, and I want to take care. It's, it's mine. I, I, okay, I might give them some, but I, I want it to be mine. What about me, right? And, and my, uh, my two-year-olds are right there. Like, everything is mine, mine, mine. And, and Angela says, I'm still in that phase. But that's okay. Like, it's a, we, we all go through that. But, but that's all in us where we're selfish. And we say, it's mine, it's mine, it's, it's mine. But the reality is for the Macedonians to be generous, that's not something natural that flowed out of them. That's something that God did in them. So uh, uh, an example of the grace of God or a proof of the grace of God working in their life is that they wanted to give. That, that they did give, that they were generous. That's a work of God in their life. Philippians 2.13 tells us, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So giving is a sign of the grace of God at work in you. Let, let's keep going and looking at what God did in them. Look at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This might be the most mind-boggling verse we have all day. So they're in a severe test of affliction. They're being persecuted. And you see a reference to that in 1 Thessalonians. And so it doesn't just say that they're in a severe that, that they're in a test of affliction. It's a severe test of affliction. So what could be happening? Well, they that means that they could be losing their homes, they could be losing their businesses, they could be losing their freedom and and maybe even their lives. They are in a severe test of affliction. And what do they do, what do they have in the middle of a severe test of affliction? What is present in their churches in the middle of a test of affliction? What's it say there? Abundance of joy and extreme poverty. Now hang on, extreme poverty, I can get behind that. 
That's expected, right? Like, like if, I'm suffering, uh, if I'm suffering affliction, if I'm losing my business or people aren't coming and, and giving me any business because I'm a believer or, or, you know, people are walking away from me, sure, extreme poverty, I can buy that, right? I can absolutely buy that, that I'm not going to have money to provide for myself. Like, like okay, I get that. So sure, that's, that's there. But then it also says that there's an abundance of joy. Why in the world is there an abundance of joy in the midst? Middle of their severe test of affliction because of James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Various. You think that includes severe trials? Probably. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the Lord is blessing them with an abundance of joy in the middle of their poverty and trials because they're trusting him, right? Remember the foundation of their generosity, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust the Lord. I, it's all about the Lord. I give everything I have to the Lord. So because they're doing that in the middle of their severest trials, God is blessing them with joy because they're going, you know what? God's still in control and he's gonna use this for my good. He's gonna make me more like himself. And so God, that's okay. You can bring it on then, all right? I trust you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on you and on your strength and your understanding. That's okay. And so there was abundance of joy as they trusted God. So what's the result of their severe affliction, extreme poverty, and abundant joy? What's, what's happening with, when you put all those together? What's it say? They overflowed a wealth of generosity on their part. Hang on a second. You take affliction and you you add in a little poverty and some joy and you get a wealth, hang on, a wealth of, of, of abundance, right? A wealth of generosity on their part. How in the world, what does that even mean? How does that even happen there? Again, what is their foundation? If the foundation of their giving is tradition, then guess what? When affliction comes, oh, where's your tradition go? Out the window, right? I don't care about tradition. I'm, I'm being afflicted. I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm suffering here. But so, so, so it can't be tradition. If, if they are under compulsion, if that's why they give, if the basis of their giving is, is compulsion, you know, someone told me or asked me or requested of me, so, so that's why I give. Well, guess what? You know, as soon as I'm in extreme poverty, I'm going to say, you know what? You can't get water out of a dry well, all right? Like, I'm extreme poverty here, so go ahead. You can, you can try to, to tell me to give all you want, but I, I got nothing. So, so is that the basis of their giving? It can't be, because that's not going to result in a, a wealth of generosity. But their foundation is what? Love the Lord and love people. So they look at what little they have, and instead of going, I, I, this is mine, I need it, instead of saying that, they're saying, you know what, Lord, I trust you, and so even though this may be little, it's yours, right? It's all yours. Do you want me to do something with it? That's okay. I'll do something with it, because you gave it to me anyway, and you can give me more, and you will. You're going to provide for my needs. That's okay, Lord. Okay, so you know what? I'm in extreme poverty. I have this test of affliction, but it doesn't matter, because all of this this is yours. Do you want me to do something? I'll do something. Because what you want matters most. They submitted to the Lord and then they loved their neighbor as themselves. So instead of sitting over here and going, woe is me. I don't, I don't have anything. I'm afflicted and I'm, I'm in poverty. Instead of that, what did they say? Woe is them. They're loving their neighbor as themselves. They're sitting there going, you know what? 
I, I would really want someone, if someone wants to love me, then they could provide for me. That would be a wonderful way to love me. And so they say, you know what? If I'd love myself that way, then I'm going to love them that way. God, I, you know what? Woe is them. I know how, how, how tough it is to struggle because I'm struggling. I know how severe uh, affliction can be because I'm afflicted right now. And so, Lord, please, please, please. Let me in some way love them like I want to be loved. Let me in some way give to them and relieve some of their difficulty and some of their affliction. Their foundation is to love the Lord and their foundation is to love people, to love their neighbor as themselves. And the result, in the middle of extreme poverty, in the middle of extreme and and, and terrible affliction, what's the result? An abundance an abundance of generosity. Look, keep going. Look in verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. So they gave according to their means. So was their gift numerically large? Absolutely not. They gave according to their means. They're in extreme poverty, right? So they are giving, but it's not, it's not a lot uh, numerically. But verse 2 says it was a wealth of generosity. What does that mean? It's a wealth of generosity. Because not only did they give, but what does it say there in verse 3? They gave beyond their means. So was it a large gift numerically? No, it's still not. But was it a large gift? Yes, it was. Because in God's economy, what pleases him is not the amount of the gift, but the attitude behind the gift. It's not the amount, right? It's not that, hey, this is what I gave compared to what you gave. No, no, no. It's the attitude behind your gift. A great example of this is in Luke 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into an offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So the attitude of the rich was God can have what's left over. And the attitude of the widow was God can have everything. He has everything. Now, if I'm in charge of running uh, the collection, right, in the temple, and so, so my job is, is whatever you do with that collection, okay? So, so providing for uh, uh, the, the needs of the priests, um, providing uh, for benevolence and other things, okay, that's my job. Then you know what? I'm going to look at these two gifts, and I'm going to go a uh, big old stack of gold coins, two little copper coins. This gift is better, right? Because in our economy, that's true, right? That gift is better. More more good, right? Less bad, right? We get that, right? More is good, less is bad, but not in God's economy. That's not how it works because God doesn't need our gifts, right? So it's not about how much we give. It's the attitude behind our gift. The, the, uh, the, the Pharisees who gave, the, the rich people who gave, excuse me, in this illustration that Jesus gave, they gave a faithless gift, right? It took no faith for them to give out of their abundance, but the widow gave a, a gift full of faith. So her gift was much greater. And that's the case for the Macedonian church's gifts. It wasn't large financially. It wasn't at all. But it was large in faith. Because what? They're in extreme poverty. They need it, right? And they're saying, no, 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 God, this is yours. And those are our neighbors. We're going to love them like we love ourselves. So God, here, take it. Take that what we have and then take Take, take more than what we, what we think we can spare. So their gift was a faith-filled gift and was a great and a large gift because of that. Look, keep going in verse 3 through 4. 
For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So two quick things right here in these two verses. Their giving didn't come out of compulsion. What's it say? They gave of their own accord, right? They were willing to give. This was their idea. They saw this need and they wanted to give. But it doesn't just say they gave willingly. Some of us could say that uh, probably regularly. We give willingly. But, but here's what it says. They gave of their own accord, begging us earnestly, right? When was the last time you begged to give your resources to somebody? When was the last time, right? It, I mean, could you imagine every Sunday, could you imagine if every Sunday we had people like chasing down ushers, like afterwards, like after the church, they're like, I didn't give enough. Here, take more, right? Will you take a watch, right? Like, that doesn't happen. But when was the last time you did that? Because it does happen. When was the last time? Here's the last time it happened. It probably happened when, when, uh, uh, when you valued something so much, you couldn't write a check fast enough. Anybody been there? Where, where you saw a need or you saw, you saw something that moved you so much, you valued it so much that you said, I can't, I can't give fast enough, right? I know that that's happened in my own life. We had some friends who were adopting, and as soon as we found out that they had a need that they wanted to adopt, we loved them, we loved what they were doing, and so we couldn't give fast enough. You see that in the Old Testament with the Israelites. There's a point, I, 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 this is one of my favorite moments uh, in the Old Testament where they're building the tabernacle, and Moses calls to the people, and he says, listen, you need to bring your goods and make donations here for us so that we can build the tabernacle. And at one point, the, the tradesmen, the, the craftsmen, they come up to Moses, and they say, Moses, we got too much. They keep giving more, and we, we don't need this much. And so Moses had to go to the people and say, stop. Stop giving, right? Isn't that incredible? You've been to a church where they said that, right? Stop. You give too much. Relax, right? Go eat out every now and then. No, no, no. So Moses says, stop. Why? Because they valued what was happening so much. They valued the tabernacle and God's work there that they said, I want to be a part of it, right? So they valued it there. And so, again, the Macedonian church valued, what did they value so much that in the middle of their poverty, in the middle of their affliction, what did they value so much that they would say, I've got to give to that? Look at verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So they saw the relief of the saints, taking care of their brothers and sisters. They saw that as a favor. You know what a favor is? A favor is a special privilege or right granted or conceded. So they didn't see this as a burden or an obligation. They saw it as a favor. This is a privilege for us to give. To them it was a privilege. In the midst of their poverty, it was a privilege to give. Why? Again, I'm going back to their foundation. What's their foundation? Their foundation is to love God and love people. So their foundation is to love God. And they say, Lord, this is your work. To feed our brothers and sisters is your work. And your work matters more than anything else. It matters more than my comfort. It matters more than what, what I want to do. This is your work. And it's so clearly your work. I want to participate on it, in it. I want to be a part of it. And so I'm going to give to it. They love God. And then they love people, right? They said, we love our neighbors as ourselves. So it's a privilege to love them in this way. It's a privilege for us to give to them and to, and to relieve them in some way. So because of their foundation, in the middle of their extreme poverty and affliction, they valued the Lord's work in people more than their own comfort. 
I'll admit for me and probably true for a lot of us and probably true for our church as a whole, we need a value shift. We need God to change what we value. And that's a God thing. Like, I can't argue with that all, I, like, I can argue with you all day, but I'm not going to change that in you. That's something the Holy Spirit's got to do, but, like, God, we need that. Like, please give us a value shift. You want to hear something stupid? There's a, there's a, uh, the iWatch is coming out this year. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like Apple's new, like, smartwatch or whatever. So, last year, they, like, debuted it, and, like, I was in my office and then I knew that, like, their press conference for it was coming on. And I was like, I'm going to watch it, right? You know, like, just a little nerdy little kid, like, sitting there watching it. And so then they were, like, talking about it coming out next year. And did you know, like, since then, I've literally thought about, like, how am I going to pay for it? What sacrifices will I make to have that device? That's stupid. That's so stupid. But am I alone? Am I alone in that? Maybe it's not the iWatch, but, like, have you done that where you see something and you value something and you say, I want that so bad, I'll make changes in my life to have it. And here's what, here's what this church is doing. Here's where their hearts are. They value what the Lord's work is so much and they value their neighbors so much that when they see a need, they don't go, oh great, I'm not going to get to have what I want. No, when they see a need, they say, I want that, I want to participate in that, I want to give to that, I want to give up what I have so that I can participate in what God's doing in their lives. God, give us a value shift. May I stop valuing these stupid things that don't matter. Now stop valuing that, man. Value your work, which lasts forever. How long is that watch going to last? A year? I have four kids. A month, right? How long? How long are the things that you value so much, that you sacrifice so much for, going to last? I, I guarantee you, you know what? I, I can't give you a number, but I guarantee you they won't last after you're dead, right? They'll probably go up until that point. They're not coming with you. And we value the Lord's work so much that we say, God, please, can I give what I, what I have to gain something that will never fade away? God, may I look at my neighbors and care about them more than some stupid piece of technology. God, give us a value shift like the Macedonian church had. So, Paul gives this incredible example from the Macedonians and then he turns his attention to the Corinthians. He says there in verse 6, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So Titus is there to complete the Corinthians' collections to bring to Jerusalem. And following the examples of the Macedonians, Paul very well could have just said, You know what? You saw how they lived? Live like them. But he very graciously and, and, and the Lord Jesus is so kind by, by, by extending this, this beautiful exhortation and, 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 and in the next few verses he highlights four truths about giving. So he's saying, look, yeah, be like the Macedonians. Now let me, let me, let me give you very clearly four more truths about giving and I found these immensely helpful and we're gonna, we're gonna go through those in the next uh, few minutes together. So here we go. Number one, value giving. Look at verse seven. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 
So some think Paul is being sarcastic here. I really don't. I think Paul is complimenting the Corinthian church for excelling in these certain areas. Probably, if you read the, the first Corinthians, you probably have an idea that these things he's just listed mattered a lot to them. And in fact, it, it mattered a lot to them in a bad way at, at one point. But, but now as, as, as their focus is, is clear and, and they've been repentant after Paul's first letter, and now they're following the Lord Jesus, he's saying, look, you care about these things and you've worked really hard on these things, right? You, you value these things and you've worked hard on these things and the Lord is doing incredible things in these areas of your life, right? Incredible things in the area of, this, of your life in, in your faith and in your speech and in your knowledge and all of that, right? But here's what he's saying. As important as those are and as much as you value them, value giving as well. Put that on that list. Knock it up there, right? So, so Paul says, look, in other words, giving is not of tertiary importance to believers, all right? Just as essential as, as you see faith and, and knowledge and your speech and your earnestness, uh, earnestness about God's work, so is giving. Put it up there. And why does giving lack so much importance in our church culture? And, and I'll tell you why, because like, money's private. In our culture, money is private, right? I think my spiritual gift, one of my spiritual gifts is awkwardness. And so one of the things I like to do when, when meeting somebody new is I'll say, like, what do you do for a living? And then they'll tell me, and then I'll usually respond with something like this. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I, I, I've, I've always wondered, um, how, how much does someone in that field make? How much money do you make before, uh, before taxes, uh, like give or take, right? And then what do people do? Sometimes they run away, uh, but usually they just get really uncomfortable, and they're like, is he kidding, right? Why? Because that's rude. That's a rude thing to ask somebody. Like, that's not something polite in our culture, because money very, is very personal, it's very private, and so since giving is connected to that, and giving is connected to our resources, then in our church, we brought that same attitude. Now, that's private. No, 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 that's between them and God, right? No, 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 that's, a, that's their own thing. So I don't have to be accountable to you on my giving because that's private. That's rude. How dare you ask me about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask me about other stuff. Ask me if I've been reading the word. Yeah, yeah. Ask me, ask me if I'm, I'm struggling with lust or anything like that. Like ask me about my pride. Don't you dare talk about my money, right? And so it's become private. But giving is an absolute incredible spiritual issue. And it should be valued. And it should be practiced. And we should be accountable to one another for it. It should be important because it is important. And so focus on it. Value it. So let me ask you this. How is giving treated in your home? Is it treated as important? Do you budget so that you can give more? Are you working out of debt to be more generous? Do you discuss opportunities to give in your home? Do you set goals in your home to grow in giving? Like seriously, do you look and say, I, we gave this much last year to this or whatever, and this year, how can we increase that? How can we give more to what God wants us to give to? So value giving. Secondly, giving is evidence of your love. Look at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So the Macedonian churches proved that their love for God and their love for others was genuine in that they gave. It was more than just talk, they actually gave. And 1 John 3, 17 through 18 says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So if you love God, 
then you will love others and you will give your your resources to serve him and to serve others. Giving really shows, what does Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Giving really shows what you value. It reveals your love. You say you love people, you say you love God, you love people, great. Do you give? Like, do, you go, do you give to support ministries that, that benefit others? Do you give to support the ministers who are ministering to you? Do you give to support uh, other people and to meet their needs? Giving is evidence of your love. Third, the inspiration of your giving is the grace of Jesus toward you. The inspiration of your giving is the grace of Jesus toward you. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Wait, Jesus was rich? Hang on a second. I thought Jesus was poor, right? He was, wasn't he? Like there was a time where he sent his disciples home, and where did he go? To a mountain. Why? He didn't have a home. And, and like literally his whole ministry is like borrowing stuff. He tried to make a point about a coin, like an illustration, and he had to borrow a coin from somebody. When he died, he borrowed a grave. I mean, he gave it back three days later, but he borrowed it, right, for three days, right? Like, that was Jesus, so he's poor, but how is he rich? Well, in John 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus put aside his glory, his wealth of glory, his wealth of heaven, the the wealth of the worship of the angels to become a poor man on a broken planet to die for us. And because he did that, we're forgiven. Because he did that, we're now rich in him. So forever, our giving should be inspired by his giving of himself to us. So of course, my foundation for giving is to love God because he deserves it, because he loved me first. And so of course, my foundation is, uh, for giving is to love other people and to love my neighbor as myself because God gave up so much from me. How could I not give up so much for others, right? Is it possible for me to give as much as he gave? No, then I will give everything, everything, for his cause and the service of others. Fourthly and lastly, giving is proportional, not prescribed. Giving is proportional, not prescribed. Look there in verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So the Corinthians started collecting for this work a year ago and have had the desire to help for a year. And Paul's encouraging them to finish the collection. What's he saying in verse 11? Completing it out of what you have. Why does he specify that? Because they've been thinking about it for a year. They've been talking about it for a year. They've been planning for it for a year. They've been, they've been praying about it for a year. And so the more they, that problem's been in front of them, I'm sure that their desire to do something about it or to meet that need, maybe that's grown and grown and grown. And maybe their heart's desire is bigger than their ability. Maybe their heart's desire is bigger than their resources. And how do you feel when you see a need and you want to meet it and you want to do something about it and you just don't have enough? You just can't do it. How do you feel? Guilty or sad? What does Paul say? Verse 11 and 12. 
completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. He's saying that the amount of your gift isn't as important as the attitude behind your gift. And again, why is that true? Because God doesn't need it. That's not what it's about. It's not about God sitting there going, oh man, he's he's holding on my resources. What am I going to do? That's not what it's about. It's about that attitude of God. It's all yours, right? And so you, you may want to give more and you just can't or your, your gift may be small compared to somebody else's. Or you might say, you know what, I, can give, I can't give 10%. Well, then give what you have. Or you might say, I can give more than 10%. Well, then give what you have. Because Christian giving isn't about 10%. It's not that God owns 10%. God owns 100%. That's what Christian giving is about. It's about 100%, right? And God, I'll give exactly what you want me to give. So what is the gift you should give uh, to, to support the church? You should give to God to support the church. I can't tell you that. I don't know. But I can tell you that you should give. And I can tell you that you should give according to what you have. When, and what other areas of ministry or, or what other needs should I meet in my life? How much should I give to other people? I can't tell you that, but I can tell you you should be giving and that you should give according to what you have. Maybe C.S. Lewis will be helpful in this. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. I want to challenge you to do two things this week as we close. One, read this passage for yourself this week. And just be with it and be with the Lord and see what he says to you. I imagine he's got a lot to say. So do that. And number two, take an honest look at how, you ser- how seriously you take giving and how seriously you take generosity. And I don't mean like in theory or in philosophy. Oh, it's really important, right? No, no, no. In your actions, in the way that you live. How, how seriously do you take it? And, and ask the Lord to give you wisdom. Lord, is there an action you want me to take in response to what I've heard? So I want to close with this. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I want to close with some very weighty words of Jesus on this topic that probably we've heard a lot. And because we've heard a lot, maybe these sound like white noise. Maybe you're like, oh, I've heard this before. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Like, really sit here, really listen to the words of Jesus. Because he's speaking them to you. And you say, how, how is he speaking? You're in this room, aren't you? And he's speaking them to you right now. Listen to what he says to us. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and thank you for your love for us and thank you for this grace. God, would you give us a, uh, a value shift? God, may we be a people marked by generosity because the foundation of our lives is to love you with everything that we've got and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So God, may that be true of us. And may we value giving in a way we've never valued it before. May we see it as an integral part of how we love you and love other people. Take it from the shadows, which is exactly where the enemy wants it. Take it from the shadows and and bring it right out into the light. May we be a people 
who say, yes, I love the Lord. Yes, I value his work. Yes, I value other people. Yes, I love them. May we be a people who prove it with the way that we live. May we be a people who prove it with the way that we meet needs. So God, thank you for your generosity on the cross for us. And may that inspire a generosity in us. And so, Lord, as we respond, I don't know what you want us to do. I imagine you have something for us to do. I imagine there's some people in here who they need to maybe stay seated and, or stand, I don't know, and they need to just, they need to repent. They need to let go of some stuff that they've held on to and said, this is mine, and surrender it to you. Maybe some people in this room need to make a gift. Maybe to the church, maybe to someone in this room. Maybe it's to some other cause, and, but they need to right now, maybe they need to right now write that check out, or they need to turn to their spouse and say, we need to give to this as soon as we can, whatever it is. May they do that. Lord, there are other people in this room that maybe they need to give themselves to you. God, they've been living a life that pleases them and doesn't please you. And maybe today they need to trust what you've done for them on the cross and surrender their life to you. God, would you give them the courage to do that right now? To say to you, God, no more living for me. I'm living for you. Give them the courage to do that. We love you. Thank you for this time of response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.